my privilege to bring us God's word to read from Mark chapter 14. If you'd like to turn to that in the church Bibles, it's on page 1020. Very warm up. Mark 14, and we're going to read the first nine verses. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, you can just listen. Mark chapter 14, the title, Jesus Anointed at Bethany. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table... In the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly leave her alone said Jesus why are you bothering her she has done a beautiful thing to me the poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Well, we are thinking this morning about... Uh, extravagant love in praise of is a brief series during the August each sermon stands on its own and nevertheless it's part of uh, an, o- an overwhelming um, series of giving praise for certain things in our lives as, as believers and no less so this morning in praise of extravagant love that is illustrated almost in an, a rather embarrassing way and uh, this is the, the reference, these first nine verses of Mark chapter 14 is the focus of the sermon and our thoughts. And indeed as we prepare spiritually and mentally to come to the Lord's table. Here's the context then. In just two days before the greatest Jewish festival of all, even today, that of the Passover a lot of preparation would, be, uh, would take place. This rather unusual event occurs. Let me just try to illustrate so that we can put this into uh, some sort of perspective. What Christmas is for Christian people, culturally and individually as believers, what Christmas is For Christian people, the Passover is and was for Jewish people. So this isn't just uh, 
some incidental event. The Passover is massive. It's a big event. And it's called the Passover feast. And there was a lot of celebrating and feasting and coming together of families and friends, and rightly so, as is the parallel with Christmas. Passover, of course, is to do with two dual lines that run throughout the Bible. On the one hand, liberation, freedom, and on the other hand, judgment and death. Judgment to those who do not believe, liberation and freedom to those who obey, as it is the great exodus from Egypt, the Passover lamb. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. If I don't, I will visit you. And there will be death in every home. Do these parallel lines. We might prefer one line to the other, but you cannot separate them. As it runs through scripture and it runs through our lives as well. Passover then is a big event. It's reflected with the prophets. It's sung in the Psalms. It's celebrated in feasts. And Jesus has been asking his disciples to do the preparation. Well, that's the context. Songs of great deliverance, as we were singing just now, from Egypt. And God providing a Passover lamb. And in anticipation of that, Jesus now says, that which the people anticipated has arrived. The lamb of God, as John announces him, who takes away the sin of the world, listen to him. It's about Jesus, our Passover lamb. Well, that's the context, and you have it there in, in verse 1 and 2. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and how extraordinary, in, in, in a very strong religious context, the chief priests who had great authority and the teachers wanted to arrest and kill Jesus. It's, a, it's quite extraordinary to read that. There it is. So this is more than just a tradition. This is a prophecy being fulfilled. And if we were, well, just staying in that same passage, as we shall do in a moment in verse 22 of Mark 14, we read, and while they were eating, Jesus, so the, they're now enjoying the Passover lamb in all of its tradition, with its spices and all of that, there's the, the remnant that's left over and Jesus takes some of the bread and some of the wine and, say, and does something unique that has blessed God's people down through the centuries. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke and gave it to the disciples saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Prophecy being fulfilled before their eyes and they still didn't see it. What I want us to do then, and that's just briefly the, the context, throughout Mark's Gospel, there's a series of glaring contrasts. And we're not going to dwell on them. You can, you can, in your mind's eye, come with me and think for yourself. Let's look through these very quickly. So, the first glaring um, contrast is the chief priests, those who are to maintain the spiritual welfare of God's people, the chief priests there want to kill Jesus. They're orchestrating, manipulating events, waiting for their time to dispose of Jesus. Now, here is an incredible contrast. In that context, 
Verse 3, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, uh, perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar, poured the perfume on his head. How embarrassing. What a way to spoil a dinner party. She picked up on one thing that the disciples hadn't. Can you imagine enjoying a nice meal with friends, like a dinner party, and having nice chilled drinks, and having a digestive pause between the courses, and somebody wants to talk about death? Well, she picked up that Jesus was going to die, and she did something prophetic. The people said it's pathetic. Drawing attention to himself. Being an exhibitionist. What she was doing, and Jesus picked it up, didn't he? Because he said, she is embalming, she's anointing my body for burial. It's a great contrast, isn't it? The second one, look at verse 4. The people's opinions. <laughs> Here's another one that is, is amazing, and it's easy to do. Why this waste of perfume? Why this waste of perfume? And it's so easy to take the moral high ground, isn't it? Look at verse 5. It be, could be sold and given uh, to the poor. This is, the value of this is a year's wages. Now, some of you think of what you earn. Some of you earn quite a bit, some less. You just think, one year's wages. That's a massive amount in terms of its value. We're asking the question, isn't it, about the building. What's the value? What's the cost? It's easy to know the cost of everything, but what's the value? The value. Well, the woman had it, didn't she? And there's a play on words with Jesus, and it's, it's been misunderstood. The poor you always have with you. Well, if you always have the poor, why give to the poor? No, no. Listen. Some people are so poor, they only have money. They are the poor. Not simply people in the impoverished parts of the world, in refugee camps and so on. The poor you always have with you. They were around there, the wealthy people, the Pharisees, were the aristocracy of the day. They are the poor people, and they didn't see it. They didn't see it. Just thought the people in the developing world. What a contrast. Well, there it is. There's the opinions. What does Jesus say of this terrible waste, this exhibitionalism, this embarrassment. Well, look at verse 6. And there you have it. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering, so strong word, hassling her, aggravating her? Why are you doing that? Look, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Isn't that something? Beautiful. A waste Beautiful. The poor don't do that. Look, how can you have a building program in a poor world? How indeed? How can you live extravagantly in a poor world? How can you give extravagantly? These are great contrasts. We have to wrestle with these. Look at verse 8. Jesus thinks of the cross, his impending crucifixion. She did what she could. She put perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now, here's a contrast. Don't miss this. Here's one of the disciples. 
if you like, one of the deacons or elders, people you should rightly expect and look up to, what do you make of it? Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. Who's the poor now? So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over, and he did with a kiss. Terrible contrasts here that perhaps with the familiarity of this passage we might miss. Jesus thinks of the cross. Judas thinks of betrayal. And a final contrast here as we try to get into this is in verses 29 and 30. It's the classic denial of Peter, the bravado disciple who bottles out and denies Jesus. You have it there in verse 29 and 30. And into that there is this quiet confidence of the Lord Jesus. You see that in verse, uh, 20, verse 28. Yes, here you are. But after I have risen, look at that confidence. Yes, I'm going to the cross. Be sure of this. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered today. Yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. Isn't that amazing? Full of his importance, yet fallible. Well, there you are. Those are the contrasts. In the, and can you just bring all of those emotions and tensions together? But what we see here is an even greater contrast. Just one final one. And that is, yes, we looked at it, but let's see it in a different light. The woman, actually it's Mary, and we, we'll, we'll see, we've got a cross-reference that we'll look at in a moment. The woman is, actually it's an expression of worship. Sometimes well-meaning people have a particular form of worship and it's, they, over a period of time, think, well, that's the only one. And they may look down disparagingly on other people who are more outward and perhaps inwardly call them exhibitionists. And by the Spirit, Jesus says, you know, that's a beautiful thing. But all of our lives should be an expression of worship. We shouldn't get locked into one way of doing things. She worshipped Jesus, pouring this expensive nard. Let's look at, this is the only cross-reference. Look in John's Gospel, chapter 12. See what you make of this. Just to flesh this out a little, John 12 and verse 4. It's the same context Jesus anointed at Bethany. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why was this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages, he'd made his calculation. Look at verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, on the contrary, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you. You will not have me. And in another reference, this woman is referred to as Mary. 
possibly some of the first women who came to the res on the resurrection morn and the first disciples of the church, first apostles to proclaim the good news were women. We would do well to remember that, who had prophetic insight. So what a contrast. Mary worshipped Jesus and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Judas betrayed Jesus and it is pitiful and sinister. Let's try to apply this then with the time that we have. Let's look at the action of Mary in verse 3 and contrast that. You see, there you have it in John chapter 12 and verse 3. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance and perfume. Can you just picture that? Can you imagine that? Try, try to do it. I don't know if artists have captured this, some of the, the, the great art, artists of the past, as they've seen these biblical scenes. Here is a woman with, with, with presumably quite a, a flock of hair and, and at Jesus' feet and using this perfume and using her hair when the disciples wouldn't even wash Jesus' feet with water. What a contrast. What surprises we're going to have when we get to heaven? This is the action of Mary, a lavish display of extravagant love. One year's wages, a life-saving perhaps. The action of Mary. Secondly, look at the reaction of people. If this is outside of, we use this word comfort zone, but outside of the normal routine of your religious experience thus far, well, allow it to speak to you. Move into an area that's different and new and allow the Spirit to challenge you. So come back to Mark's Gospel and see this. In verses 4 and 5, the reaction of the people. This is embarrassing. This is a waste. This isn't right. This is a misuse of resources. This beautiful act of love is condemned by people who want to hold on and hold back. Interestingly, it is the money-minded disciples. It is so easy to take the moral high ground on these occasions. It's a waste. I'm concerned about the poor. Well, how do you answer that? How do Christian people genuinely live in this tension that here we are blessed with so much and here are people in our world with so little and in some occasions nothing. It's been said, hasn't it? We need to live more simply than other people might simply live. And that's a challenge for us daily, not simply in our giving. But there it is. If we're going to get the spirit of this, we need to live within the tension. If you don't have a tension between the poor and the needs of others, between your wealth and others, then there's something wrong. There's a healthy tension there. But what's the application for us spiritually? It's this. Be careful, be very careful of condemning other people's generosity to justify your lack of it, of course. Other people's generosity. Let me try to 
illustrate this. This is extravagant, there's no question about that. Let me ask you, put it like this then, if it were your dowry, or your little nest egg, whatever you want to call it, bottle of perfume, bottle that costs a year's salary, you a year's salary, whatever that is, would you, would I, would we, have emptied it on our Saviour? Or maybe we'd say, no, no, look, there's a principle here. Would we have sold it and given the money to the poor? Or would we say, no, no, I'll give 10%. Or would we divide it within our family? Would we want to keep it for a rainy day? Would we think about percentages? No, look, there's a place for extravagance and there's a place for prudence. There's no question about that. We can't go through our lives always being extravagant. We end up with nothing. But we go through a life always being prudent and equally end up with nothing, just simply with money. There's a time for prudence. There's a time for extravagance. There's a time to sell for the poor. And there's also a time to shower on the Lord with love. And lastly, what does Jesus think about it? There you are, we've tried to draw various perspectives. What does he think? What would Jesus think? There's a movement, isn't there? What would Jesus do? It can be very helpful. What would Jesus think? Well, here's his his take on it. Leave her alone, verse 6. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? That's a question you should ask. Why criticize other people's generosity? Are you actually defending your extreme prudence? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done a beautiful thing to me. What a contrast it is. This clash of priorities and values. And it's a classic one-liner, isn't it? Judas... A waste of money. Too extreme. It's not God's will. This is wrong. Others, and by the way, one person can influence a lot of other people negatively. It's very easy to do that. Others took his note and and rebuked her harshly. Not something. And Jesus... Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I don't think you can get a greater contrast than that, can you? It is really beautiful. And is this profound? Anything but. Let's let's take... As we come to the Lord's table now, just one liner from Jesus, the summing up. And you have it there in verse 8, the opening sentence, she did what she could. You can't do what you can't. You can do what you can. That's it. She did what she could. Do you? 
She gave what she could. She expressed what she could. The others are standoffish. They take the moral high ground. There it is. This is our life. Here's our family. Here's our relationship. Here's our church. Here's our community. Do what you can. She did what she could. And it's beautiful. Her way of doing it was much better than the disciples' way of not doing it. It was prophetic, profound with insight, full of devotion. She did what she could. So must we. And that's different, of course, for different people. We are gifted differently. We are rightly different in our own right. But we give, we do what we can. Would some of you remember the, uh, the blind poet um, Helen Keller? She wrote some very beautiful prose. And this is not so much poetic as insightful. Thinking about her life, and she, this was her take looking back. Use your eyes. As if tomorrow you would be struck blind. Hear the music and voice and songs of a bird. Or a great musical piece. As if tomorrow you would be struck deaf. Of course you may not be. But just do it anyway. Touch each object as if tomorrow your sense of touch would fail. Smell the perfume of flowers or sweet peas as they are in the garden. Smell them as if tomorrow your sense of smell would fail. Taste with relish each mortal as morsel as if tomorrow you could never smell or taste ever again. Quite simply, let's sum up the sermon. She did what she could. So must we. This week, do what you can. By God's Spirit, do what you can. That's what she did. Criticized by others, fair enough. But it's beautiful. Beautiful. We're going to sing this hymn as we come to the Lord's table. And it is again a contrasting hymn of God's love. Here it is. Here is his love. Vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us. His precious blood. We'll stand and sing.
as we remain standing, we are going to read prayerfully this prayer of preparation as we come to the Lord's table. Let's read it together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So you'll recall that the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, preparing the Passover. And little did they know that he was to take that tradition and turn it into something unique, pointing to him as the Lamb of God. When evening came, Jesus was reclining with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to one another, Surely not I, Lord. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And in that context, a woman did a very beautiful thing. And we are here today, and our worship and our devotion to the Lord Jesus is a beautiful thing giving our lives to him. Let's just take a moment to be quiet in prayer together. <clears throat> 